from London. This, this is the Doctor Who podcast, and you, you, all of you, are most welcome. Well, if you love interviews, this is the episode for you. James and Ian went to Big Blue Box 2 convention recently and came back with so many interviews, well, we just don't know what to do with them. So we shoved them all in this bumper mega episode. Yes, indeed. Welcome to a very special episode of the Doctor Who podcast. As Trevor said, Ian and I were at the Trinity Theatre last weekend in Tunbridge Wells for the second Big Blue Box convention organised by Stephen Elsden. And uh, I have to say, this was one of the most enjoyable conventions I've been at for a very, very long time. Um, And I'm conscious of the fact that I only just got back from Los Angeles last month. But, uh, But this was very, very different but just as enjoyable, Trevor. And I'm sure you are green with envy. And if you're not, you really should be, because it was fantastic. As always I am, as always I am, James. But um, having listened to the amazing stuff that you got at this convention, I mean, I'm just looking at the list of interviews we've got in this episode alone. An incredible job. I mean, it sounds like it was a really, really fantastic day. It was. It was brilliantly organised. It was wonderfully intimate as well. It's a... As I said before, the Trinity Theatre is a converted church and aside from adapting it to um, a theatre and putting a main stage and uh, an auditorium in in the middle of the church, there really hasn't been that much alteration done. So it's a very unique venue and the way the the foyer is and the way the cafe is it's it's almost perfect for a doctor who convention because it brings people together there's lots of seats and settees at the front so you can't help but speak to people and uh, that the whole atmosphere that the venue and the organization assists in delivering is is spectacular and i i very much look forward to uh, the next big blue box convention next year well, we should really get into the interviews that you managed to get on the day at uh, Big Blue Box 2, James. And your first interview was with a, uh, a certain Sontaran. I now have the very great pleasure of being joined by Strax himself, Dan Starkey. Welcome to the Doctor Who podcast. Hello. Conventions. This is your second convention uh, within the last month or two. Uh, more or less, yeah. I mean, this is this is a slightly sort of smaller scale uh, one than the last one I was at, which was the big Gallifrey convention over in LA, which was sort of something like three thousand six hundred people, which mm. was fairly fairly epic. This is much more cosy with the uh, Gallifrey weekend. It was just a basically. Uh, Basically, a case of standing around and having people walking up to me complimenting me. So you know, you really can't <laughs> complain about that. It's uh, quite hard. Did they yeah. ask you to insult them or threaten their lives at all? Yes, uh, I think I think uh, a little bit of jovial insulting clearly goes down quite well. It's uh, <laughs> if you do it with a smile and mm. uh, in a certain sort of straxy manner, then <laughs> then they're quite happy for you to abuse them roundly. Did you find people came up to you to recognise you instantly without the touch? No, well, <laughs> it's it's uh, no, no, absolutely. <laughs> um, well, it's quite funny because for the first um, for the first 
half day we were there because the opening ceremony wasn't until the Friday evening. Um, Neve and I were sort of wandering around together mm. and then sort of obviously we're both in lots of prosthetics and so people didn't quite twig who we were. And then obviously once we've been introduced on stage it suddenly clicks, oh, tall Scottish lady and little man. Um, I think we know who they won't be. Yeah, I think one evening I, I was quite interested to see uh, an evening of um, there was a performance of some Doctor Who impro that, mm. uh, that was quite uh, that was quite interesting to watch, and um, Neve came along as well. And then just just on the way out, we sort of got mobbed. <laughs> well, not quite mobbed, but sort of like lots lots of people came up and sort of uh, sort of uh, we shook hands and all that sort of thing. And we were there until about two o'clock in the morning, with people just being nice to us. So you know, Fantastic. you really you really can't complain about sort of people wanting to buy you drinks and have some photographs taken with you. It's uh, no, it's, it was it was very nice. You certainly give me the impression that you you know, you know a lot about Doctor Who, and you must have got a lot of the in jokes certainly from the impro. I mean, is that something that you would ever want to to consider? Oh, what of taking part in the improv? Yeah, something stuff. like I mean, that. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I I, I took part in the uh, we had um, a Doctor Who based just a minute. Um, one yeah. evening as well that was that was quite yes it was quite crazy I mean I think also one thing to say about the weekend as well because we were in the hotel which was kind of like a completely sort of air conditioned environment with no natural light uh, my body just did not adjust to Pacific time at all <laughs> over the course of the weekend so there were various points where I was fading fading fast and I think but uh, but so just to halfway through the just a minute which requires you know quick reactions and so like aggressively butting in there's one moment when I there's a, there's a little five minute section when I was suddenly sort of like come on come on stay awake <laughs> but, um, but no it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's great fun yeah as an actor you have certain sort of like performance skills or whatever but oh. then if you can sort of drop in a reference to the Nightmare of Eden or something like that and then obviously sort of saying that in front of the, an audience of fans and that's, uh, that's got a double double frisson to it well not only do you get the, the, the laugh but you get yeah. the understanding laugh we know where you're coming from yes. and I think certainly yeah. um, when you can crack Doctor Who related jokes in whatever capacity yeah. you associate with fandom it's, yes. always, it's always good Toby Hadokes makes a living of it now yeah, absolutely <laughs> yes. yeah. but, uh, but this, um, this going back to Strax I mentioned Strax right at the very beginning uh, he's certainly not the first Sontaran you've, uh, yeah. you've played and I think you must have played Three or four, I'm guessing here. Yeah, now. it's uh, played Commander Score, and then there was Jask, who was a little cameo, and then it was Strax. Yeah, so it's it's three. Yeah, and then there's, there's lots of audio as well that I've played. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. But, but certainly on the television series, you, yeah. you starred in two eras. Now you were with the Tenth Doctor as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, did you did you get to speak to to David at all, or did you? I met David um, properly again at um, a convention just before Christmas, actually, because I did the little cameo on uh, his final episode was it the, the the end of time yes and that was a case of I was just there for a morning I didn't get a chance to see the rest of the script because um, I think they'll be having a very hush hush about it in, in the advance of the regeneration and stuff and so it was a case of just kind of sharing a car with him on set and well he was perfectly nice but clearly a man with a lot on his mind um, and then he bopped me with a mallet and I fell over so um, <laughs> yes. so it wasn't exactly a meeting of minds um, no, no. but uh, but actually meeting him again at the convention it's amazing seeing him again and just seeing how relatively relaxed <laughs> he looked you know when sort of like because I mean it, it's, it's a fantastic job being on Doctor Who but I can understand you know from Matt, Matt's point of view as well it, it's a job that takes over your life in a way and they manage to be incredibly sort of graceful with it but uh, but clearly you know they're, they're, you know quite a lot of the time they they are they have got a lot on their minds in terms of just just having a normal chat with people. So, so. Well, that, that must that must be the same for you as well to a degree when you consider the popularity of, of particularly Strax. Yeah, well, certainly it's. Um, I mean, just just the past the past sort of uh, eighteen months or so when it's just really taken off. Um, I mean, last year uh, down, I was down in Cardiff virtually the whole year because I was first of all doing Wizards vs Aliens mm. series one, which is great. And as soon as that finished virtually, then they went, oh, they want you back for Doctor Who, and that was just going to be. 
a couple of days, and then that stretched into two episodes, and then oh, I'm in the Christmas special, am I? <laughs> and then more and more and more, and so I was, you know, I was, I was back and forth for most of the year, and then mm. yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what the what the future holds, but obviously it's a character that people have enjoyed, and yeah. so I've got my fingers crossed that you know, sort of uh, my my two big fingers crossed <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, that more 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 happens. But it's it's, it's lovely that it's um, that it's a character that people have really taken to and. And it's a character that's enormous fun to play. I mean, it's it's, I a, it's, it's a long day and it's grueling, but you, you know, it's making people making people laugh is uh, is an enjoyable way to 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 pay your rent. It's, uh, it's great. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, just with things like little, it was little things like um, I was really pleased that in advance of the Christmas special, we on set we were sort of just larking around and. There were some Christmas carols I improvised in character as Strax, and I was so pleased that sort of uh, that Saul, the director, actually recorded them, and then they found their way onto the onto the website. And yeah. oh, I was quite pleased. That, obviously, you know, the way in which television works, you know, we as actors do not write our own lines. You know, Even, although one's performance might influence the writer, you know, it's not up to you. But the fact that I was actually making stuff up, and you know, in, in character, character, and then that yeah. was used as well. That, that that's that, that's quite nice. I feel you know more of an investment as a. So is this your approach to method acting to the Sontaran? <laughs> yes, absolutely. You know, I, 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 coupled with the indiscriminate slaughter and getting in as many pub rules as I can. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to be careful what questions I ask. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but certainly looking forward, you mentioned the future. I mean, you don't have to dig very deep on the internet to find out that there's, there's spin-offs with yourself, Astra and Jenny. Um, I mean, have you any news? or? Uh, I, I really don't know. I mean, I've yet to see the white smoke coming over Rothlock Studios. Um, and then, then, then it'll be a, it'll be a thing of joy, and there will be you know, joy and confined. Oh, we can um, be a little bit more certain about your reappearance in the second half of season. Yes, seven. yeah. There, no, there, there are a couple of episodes coming up, and there's some very cool stuff. I, I mean, I was just having a chat with Tom Spilsbury, um, the editor of Doctor Who magazine, in the in the green room and stuff. Because I mean, I. It's great now because I get sent a free copy of Doctor Who magazine every month. It's great because I used to. I used to have <laughs> Worth to, becoming an actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah um, but uh, I mean, I, I try and avoid all the previews of the new episodes because obviously I know what happens in my episodes. But I mean, I know what happens in. And that said, quite often you get a false ending or something in the scripts that you know in, mm. in the scenes that you're not shooting, shooting, because they they want to keep a lid on things, you know, because. I mean, I, I prefer not to know what's yeah. going to happen and yeah, with the whole yeah. thing with spoilers as well. Even with the episodes that I'm not in, I'd like to know as little as possible before it actually goes on screen because then it's much more of an adventure. Um, but, you know, you do see things lying around in Rothlock and you <sighs> think, oh, okay, that's going to be interesting. We'll see how that's, <laughs> how that's factored in. I mean, the first time when I was having my butler costume fitting as Strax was just before we had the read-through for The Crimson Horror, which is an episode coming up when mm-hmm. Marcatus wrote which actually we recorded before the Christmas special. And just as I was having, I was struggling into my Sonataran outfit and started pointing out, no, really, I don't want to have to wear a pair of trousers over the rubber trousers because they're awful. When I was saying that, I suddenly noticed out of the corner of my eye there was a, uh, a very distinctive scaly green carapace just resting on the ground. Like, that looks like part of a nice warrior. <laughs> and, um, and so going straight over to the read-through, uh, sort of like just a... Just so saying hello to everyone so I uh, said to Mr Moffat it's like Ice Warriors and then I got this look it's like going don't tell anyone <laughs> so it was kind of uh, you yeah. didn't go and clear up <laughs> yeah it's meant certain there was nothing else from the well I, I think I think yeah obviously <laughs> most of jobbing actors going in there was like oh it's some green scales or whatever on the floor but Whereas you recognise those green yes. scales yeah, yeah. it could have been the Merca then it could have been the Merca yeah. the Merca has the Merca's day has yet to come oh um, I can't wait <laughs> <laughs> yes. Dan, it's been fascinating speaking to you. Thanks no, very much. It's been lovely. Thank you.
Hello, I'm here with Toby Hidoke. Hello, how are you? <laughs> Very well, thank you. Are you Good. enjoying the day? I am. I'm exhausted, but um, it's a great way to spend one's time. It's a very guilty pleasure. <laughs> You've been doing some stuff on stage today. What, what have, who have you been talking to? I've been talking to Mark Ayres and Richard Bignall. And that's a curious one because I sort of know both gentlemen um, relatively. Well, Mark, Mark better than Richard, but Richard and I email quite a lot. So it's slightly different when you're interviewing a, a star of Doctor Who or something like that because... I think we, all of us who are Doctor Who fans worry that we're not very interesting to other Doctor Who fans. You know, I still, I still don't quite trust anybody that asks for my autograph, for example, because I've never been in Doctor Who. I, I've, it's that fan paranoia, or that glorified fan paranoia, if you like, because for me, I'm just somebody that really likes Doctor Who, and I like talking to other Doctor Who fans. But I imagine there is a certain group of people, and I completely understand where they're coming from, going, well... He's just a Doctor Who fan like us. Why, why, why are they getting stage time or whatever? So you, d you do have a sort of paranoia that goes with that, especially when you're in a with a couple of mates who probably also have that paranoia. But um, they've both got very interesting things to say about archiving and restoration, and there is a lot of interest in the DVD range, and, um, and we've all had input into that. So it was all right. We got away with it. You've, uh, you say you're a fan, but you've kind of become a professional fan with your oh, work on the no. DVDs and yes. uh, Big Finish and what have you. Oh dear. Uh, as you've got closer to working with it, does it compromise your enjoyment as a fan? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I, I have to take steps. I mean, I, the, the idea of being a professional fan appalls me. Um, but I've been a professional stand-up comedian for... I think 15, 14 years before I went to the Edinburgh Fringe with Moth State, my Doc 2 scarf. I'd won awards for stand-up comedy. I won an award-winning stand-up comedy club. I'd played lead roles at the Royal Exchange Theatre. And nobody ever took any notice of me until I did a one-man show about Doctor Who. Uh, and that got me closer to Doctor Who, a thing I love. I'd never been part of organised fandom or anything like that. And because of the... Uh, it, uh, I, one could say knowledge, one could say autism that I portrayed in my one-man show, which I did to demonstrate that I wasn't just uh, one of those fans who, uh, by saying I'm a big Doctor Who fan, what they mean is they like the one with the scarf. But by saying I'm a big Doctor Who fan, I know who designed the smugglers. Uh, and there's a, there's a, you know, there's a gulf in between. Uh, and and as a result of displaying that knowledge in the show, I was asked. Um, a couple of things for the for the DVD range, and it and it came up. Could I moderate a commentary, which of course I wasn't going to say no to, and then gradually I got asked to do more and more things. And part of you goes, you've got to start saying no to some things because you will become ubiquitous. And part of you goes, I'm still I'm being asked to do something for Doctor Who, and that excitement never goes away. I've I've always declined to do talking heads interviews for making ofs and things like that because I feel with the moderating I am doing a thing and I work very hard and there's a level of research goes in and a certain level of presentation skill that as a stand-up comedian I can sort of say well I'm doing a professional job there I'm not just a glorified fan in that in a way I'm I'm I am somebody that talks for a living I present on the radio for a living so therefore that's a that's a, a, an acceptable form of employment to be a talking head I think there are more people that can do that well, so why not make space for them and not annoy people by being everywhere? Um, but then Chris Chapman comes up with these really good documentary ideas, and um, 
I said that he gave me the, the Levine thing, although actually that was come up with somebody by somebody called David Chandler, who I met on a train, and I, I pitched it over to Chris. Uh, and then Chris came up with this Havoc one for Inferno. And, and I had a moment where I just said, I don't think I want to do any more because I don't want people to get fed up. Um, and then I just went, oh, I'll do them anyway. Um, and, you know, dangers of being typecast or or just seen in that light are, are luxuries that only very few performers can afford to sort of go, well, I won't do that, you know. It's not like if I didn't present Living with Levine, I'd be playing Hamlet at the Royal Shakespeare Company. And if it was a toss-up between the two, I would probably have uh, passed on, <laughs> lovely though it was, my weekend with John Levine. So pe I'm flattered that people keep asking me to do it. I do work very hard on, on the stuff. Um, and I've forgotten what the question was. <laughs> You said something about professional fan, and I've gone off on a second. Does it alter my enjoyment of the show? It potentially does. I think there's a danger. I remember when I only went to two conventions as a kid, and once was a panopticon, and, oh, God, we queued up at six o'clock in the morning. There was nobody there. Um, and Andrew Beach walked past at about half past six. Went, what are you doing? We said, well, we want to be first in the queue, and bless him. He said, come in, come in. And we sat in the green room, and all these fans were there and very nice and there were a few fans who were saying things like um, uh, and Patrick Troutman had just died at a convention saying oh it's a shame Pertwee's not at this convention because the state's got Troutman and we wanted Pertwee and I remember being appalled that these fans were so close that they felt they could mock and I thought I never want to be like that because I am subservient to Doctor Who because I am a fan of Doctor Who so therefore I never want to be on those those terms with it where I think I'm a bit cleverer than it and a bit better than it because that's not fandom, that's being a smart ass, and I don't like that. So I always want to be in a position where I love Doctor Who, there's no archness about it. I don't love Doctor Who because it's a bit rubbish. I love Doctor Who because I think it's brilliant. I don't love Doctor Who because the people in it have personality flaws. I love them because they're my heroes and they made the Doctor Who that I know and love. So although I'm a comedian, I don't really like the idea of, of fans being slightly askance and better than Doctor Who because we're not, because if it wasn't, if Doctor Who wasn't there, our existence as Doctor Who fans wouldn't have been facilitated. Um, so you can get too close to it, and I think you have to be very careful, and I've been lucky to get to know a few people um, quite well from Doctor Who, but I still have to pinch myself, and, and yes, I would say I would consider, say, Louise Jameson a friend of mine. I've stayed at her house. She's been very kind to me. But that doesn't mean when I watch The Face of Evil, I don't think she's brilliant and get excited by all the stuff that Leela gets up to. So you can have a sort of double think going on. But what I do do is for the new series, because Doctor Who is magical and exciting and all that sort of thing for me, I don't read Doctor Who magazine. I don't read the Radio Times. I don't go on spoiler forums. So, I mean, I'm not... I don't get cross if somebody tells me a certain monster's returning and that monster's name is in the title. I mean, I'm not insane about it. Sorry if you're listening and you're like that, but you are insane about it. Um, uh, oh, and anybody, by the way, that gets annoyed with poor old Doctor Who magazine for featuring something that's out there. When the Radio Times ran the preview for the invasion, they put a picture of the cyber, a Cyberman walking down the steps of St Paul's Cathedral to um, accompany the blurb for episode one. And the Cybermen don't appear till the end of episode four. So it's a good job the internet didn't exist then. Uh, and uh, so, so I remain spoiler free for what is to come um, because that in a way maintains, retains the magic for me.
Well, thank you very much for sharing your time with us. I have just one more question for you. Mm-hmm. This is Doctor Who anniversary year. Yeah. What message do you have for the fans? Well, that's the question I ask in my podcast. It's a horrible question. Um, uh, keep enjoying Doctor Who and people will enjoy it in different ways from you and that doesn't matter. Doctor Who is great. It's a piece of entertainment and um, just, just enjoy it. Fantastic words to end on. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, we're here at Big Blue Box 2 in Tunbridge Wells. I have the great honour of being joined by Simon Fisher-Becker, Dorian Maldivar. Hello, Simon. Hello, everybody. And welcome to the Doctor Who podcast, Caravan. We have a pretend caravan here. What do you think of that? Well, it's very cosy, I must say. A nice, nice little uh, iron bar heater there, I must admit. <laughs> <laughs> the orange glow there is, uh, goes quite well with my blue skin. <laughs> it does indeed. <laughs> Works brilliantly on audio as well, yeah. I have to say. <laughs> now, you're no stranger to conventions. Uh, no, I've done quite a few now. Uh, the first one I did was, um, I think it was the NEC in Birmingham. Uh, memorabilia, I think oh, it right. was. Um, uh, 2010. And thoroughly enjoyed it. Met some weird and wonderful people. Most of them were absolutely lovely. You do get a few scary cases, but you get that with every walk of life. So you just take it in your stride. But it's lovely to meet everybody. And it's a good opportunity, particularly those who are my Facebook friends, to come up and say, hello, I'm a Facebook friend. Ah, So that's what you look like. So the the whole community that is Doctor Who, and it's, um, it's represented in part, at least at conventions. I mean, was this something you knew about before you were cast as Dorian? Well, the conventions, yes, I knew about the conventions, and I, I sort of read about conventions, but I never actually attended any, and I'm very pleased to be asked to these events, and it's now worldwide. I mm. can't believe it, really, <laughs> I really can't believe it, you know, I've, I've been to America twice, uh, I've been to Germany, uh, and I'm going to Australia at the end of this year, so wow. the English are very reserved, really, by comparison, particularly in America, they are absolutely out there, and they love it, and the concept of being hugged by everybody was uh, definitely uh, introduced to me uh, in America. In Germany, they're just very grateful. Oh, we are so very grateful that you decided to come to see us. You are so kind. <laughs> you see, <laughs> I'm yet to find out how the Aussies are, but I would imagine that they're, you know, you know as long as I've got a Fosters to hand mm. over, I'm sure they'll be very happy. I think fandom's interesting even in the UK and when you get an opportunity to see how other uh, nationalities celebrate Doctor Who you you sometimes get a, an idea of, of how big the institution the, is. The international aspect of it has really hit mm. home particularly more recently because I'm getting emails from China and Chezikstan. Wow. You know because of the internet you see yeah so even yeah, yeah. if doctor who isn't actually sold to a country they'll find a way of seeing it mm. and it's great uh, that because um, i'm a fan of doctor i've seen watched been watching doctor who since william hartnell so i've followed him all the time so uh, and now to be associated with the program is even more fantastic but to get the fans worldwide you know i was at a convention in cardiff girl from tasmania <laughs> it was at the time of the Olympics and um, we, we had the convention in the March and she said we were going to come over uh, to the Olympics but we changed our holiday so we could do the convention instead well there you go no it is incredible people just build their holiday plans and their travel plans around, around I, I think it's who. absolutely great and mm. as you go around there are lots of people that are the same faces 
and it's their way of is it their club? Yeah. And like, like we might say, oh, well, we'll see you next Tuesday. And they say, oh, well, I'll see you in LA then, <laughs> or I'll see you in Cardiff, or I'll see you in Toronto. It's, it's a little bit like. A slightly strange or diverse equivalent of following a sports club, perhaps, except it's not so socially acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's all this um, people who sort of poke fun at the Who, the who fans, the mm. cosplayers, who dress up in their favourite characters. Yeah. But I've always said, well, that's no different than a football fan painting their face with the colour of, you know, the... Uh, the colours of their team or whatever. It's no, different. it's no different at all, really. So in your travels, have you come across a Dorian cosplayer? I've not met a Dorian cosplayer yet, but I've had quite a few people come and bring... They, they make little plasticine models of Dorian and they oh. hand it over, which is very sweet. But I am aware of a couple of Dorian mm. uh, because they've become Facebook friends. And uh, let's, um, there's a new Doctor Who club in Nebraska, and the main dude there is a Dorian fan, so his, his actual picture on his... Uh, well, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, are, are you surprised, or, or to what extent are you surprised, that Dorian became so popular? I'm very happy that he's <laughs> become... Sure. Um, and when I first had the makeup put on and I saw myself in the mirror, I will admit at that point I would say, yes, this is quite striking. Mm. So in that sense. But uh, as to... Fans saying they want more and more and more of Dorian. I just say thank you very much. Um, but he is a curious character. Stephen's written a very onion-layered character, so you don't really know how Dorian's going to react in anyone's situation. So that's real fun to play with, and I think that's probably what's caught everybody's imagination, because they're just not sure quite how Dorian is, because he can be very serious, but he can be very funny as well. One thing you can say is consistently important, even in the episodes where he has relatively little screen time, he's there and he impacts the plot significantly. He's um, become the storyteller. And he said, yeah. right, now this is what's happened up to now, and, and then he'll sow a seed rather teasingly, Yes, and uh, particularly the, uh, the wedding song, of course. You say, yes, I quite like that aspect of it. So, yeah. of course, that, anything that happens with Dorian, people then say... Well, how does he know that? <laughs> you know, so people, so what is Dorian's debt to the Doctor? I mean, I'd love to know what that is. Well, I, I, I get a feeling that his story isn't complete yet. Oh, I, I'm absolutely certain that Dorian will come back at some point, but when is only in Stephen Moffat's head. <laughs> Not yours yet. Oh, oh no! In my mind, I've got a complete, <laughs> I've got a complete Dorian series. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> This is one thing that um, both Russell T. Davis and Stephen Moffat uh, are very gifted at, and that's creating very, very popular guest cast members and guest characters. And so, you know, you can just run and run and run. So, And, I, and I've let it be known that if they want me back to be Dorian, the answer is always yes. I'm, what I'm very grateful for Doctor Who is I've always been um, a visiting artist. Uh, and a lot of what uh, I tend to do ends up on the cutting room floor, whereas a lot of what I did for with Dorian was kept. So it, it's shown people what I can do, and um, I'm very grateful and humbled, really, particularly from the fans and the reaction to it. But um, oh, wow. you know, and they are welcome to send me fan mail. I <laughs> I do quite enjoy doing it, though. Mm. Sometimes I think I look at the pile, I think, oh. I better get on with that now. <laughs> well, also, you're on Facebook and Twitter. Facebook, well. yes, yeah. I've let me some. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a tart. I'm so, uh, <laughs> yes, you can grab me any way you like. Um, 
Yes, Facebook. Uh, if you go to my web page, you'll find my agent's details. And uh, please feel free to write, and I'll, I will return. A stamped addressed envelope does help with the speed. Because <laughs> my local post office is closed, so I have to travel oh, quite a way now okay. to get to the post office. But well, it's, okay. it's interesting, isn't it? One of the final scenes that we last saw, or one of the scenes that we last saw, Dorian, he was referring to the quality of the Wi-Fi, and here you are very well communicated and connected as well. <laughs> Simon, thanks very much indeed just for spending a few moments with that us. Was, thank you very much. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I'm here with Nicholas Pegg, uh, dialogue operator in the new series. Thank you very much for talking to us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to talk to you. So, uh, obvious question first of all. What's it like to drive a Dalek? What's it like to drive a Dalek? Uh, well, it's huge fun. That's the first thing to say. Gosh, what fun we have. Um, practically what it's like is uh, um, inside the Dalek there's a seat. Well, a plank, I suppose, uh, which is in roughly the right place to be a seat. Uh, and the floor of the Dalek is hollow so it's open to open to the ground and you have three casters exactly the same sort of ones that you get on supermarket trolleys and often about as unpredictable uh, in, in what they decide to do and there's one of those at the front and two at the back sort of to each side and you just paddle along on the floor a bit like the Flintstones in their car you know uh, and then of course you've got um, uh, handles inside to control the gun and the plunger which retracts inside the Dalek and pushes out again and then up above you've got another handle that um, spins the dome and makes the ice stalk go up and down. You pull the handle to make the ice stalk go up and down and you obviously rotate it to rotate the dome. As I'm sure you probably know, we do also, in the new series, have... Um, I keep calling it the new series. It's been back for, what, sort of eight years or something now, hasn't it? We'll have to think of another name for it. Uh, but yes, we have some animatronic domes as well, which are operated by remote control by the guys who, who do all the electrics for the Daleks. A guy called Colin Newman and uh, Lynn Walters, his, uh, his mate, they, they do that. But I think people sometimes get the impression that they're all like that, and they're, they're not. There's only, you know, two or three usually that are, that are like that at any given moment and so we do do quite a lot of manual stuff just like they used to do in, in the old days actually today here at, at, uh, at Blue Box 2 I've uh, met for the first time uh, Cy Town uh, I resisted the temptation to say one of my predecessors in an Anthony Ainley sort of way but it was lovely to meet him uh, I've never met him before and you know we were comparing notes and it's really uh, nothing has changed quite clearly and the, the, the fundamentals of, of a Dalek are exactly the same as they were uh, back in the olden days, you know, the, the, the technology still works, so uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know. Well, for Asylum of the Daleks, you got to use some of the classic series props which they brought back. Right. Were they very different from the new ones? Yeah, the main thing that we all noticed about them was how much lighter they were, just as 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 uh, props, you know, the, the, the bronze ones, and in particular the... Uh, Newer, you know, the, the, the new paradigm, the paradigm. Thank you. Yeah. Those ones uh, are very, very heavy, uh, especially the paradigm ones uh, and the older ones. Some of which were genuine old, old ones. Some of them were ones that had been built specially for it. But certainly, the genuine old ones were. I, mean, I don't want to say flimsier because it's not that they were, you know, uh, not as good or anything. But they were certainly more lightweight, which might sound like a good thing. But actually, they were. We, maybe it's just because we're used to the, the the ones that we normally work in. But they're actually because they're so light they were slightly harder to keep under control you know one of the things that you have to master when you're being a Dalek operator is how to glide forward smoothly and keep the sort of prow of the you know the pointed front of, of the base of the Dalek 
pointing forwards at all times because you can often, with those supermarket trolley casters, it can slightly veer off to one side and the Dalek ends up almost sort of gliding sideways and that looks a bit rubbish, you know. So, we, And that was harder to achieve with the, with the old ones because they were so light, they tended to sort of flap about a lot more. Um, but, you know, we got, we got the hang of it and, um, yeah, it was quite, uh, quite interesting having a go in them all because we had a big rehearsal session where we all got in and out of all the different, as many different ones as we could because, of course, when you're setting up and, and, and rehearsing, we usually have a day or two before we start shooting each Dalek episode where we just test drive them, even if they're the ones that we've already used, just to make sure that everything's in working order, you know, and certainly with that one, we had all these new ones or new to us ones to, to have a go in just to just to make sure that they were all okay. And if they weren't, you know, the props guys would come in and, uh, and the carpenters and whoever and, and fix anything that wasn't quite working. Um, so, yeah, and of course, at that point, you don't know uh, what the director's exactly going to want it's up to the director you know on, on the day to say right I, I want to use this and do that and, and it's our job to be ready to do whatever the director wants us to do so so we had to go in all of them just to make sure that we were reasonably up to speed on them yeah you train as an actor in Guildford I believe that's you, right you've done yeah. some quite serious acting on the stage and various other things mm -hmm. do you feel that operating the Dalek is still an acting job or is it more of a mechanical job um, well, obviously, I mean, it is a mechanical job on a, on a certain level. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's kind of like a, almost like a sort of puppetry job, isn't it, in a way? Uh, but I, I'm always aware that there's a danger of sounding like an absolute pillock uh, when you start talking about operating a Dalek in the same way that you might talk about doing a, you know, a Noel Coward play or something, because obviously it's not the same thing. Um, but... It is an acting performance in its own way. Obviously, it's not, you know, Hamlet. Um, but um, you do have to... We, we, we receive the scripts. We have to learn the lines. Because even though we don't um, speak the words, we do have to animate the Dalek appropriately according to the thing. And, and sometimes we do have to actually sort of... You know, there have been times when Nick Briggs hasn't been there and we have flashed the lights ourselves for you know and the voice to be put on later and all that sort of stuff. And we rehearse with the other actors. So in terms of the actual process of, of, of making an episode, it's exactly the same as being an actor, you know, being one of the rest of the cast. You know, it's not some different sort of thing. We're not we're not members of the crew, we are members of the cast as far as that goes. Uh, but obviously I'm not under any illusions that we're that we're doing, you know, King Lear. We're we're being Daleks. But yeah, I mean it's it's an acting job in in, in, in every uh, conventional sense, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the New Paradigm Daleks and how they are quite heavy. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that was put out there at the time they came along was that they were larger and easier for the operators to get inside and there was more space <laughs> and they were more comfortable. Is that your experience? Yeah, I've heard that rumour as well. Someone, someone asked me about that at a convention a couple of years ago. I said, is that true? Uh, no, no, it's not true. Um, uh, no, I mean, obviously, you know, as if the BBC's flagship drama programme would base a major design decision upon the idea of making life slightly easier for half a dozen lowly actors of course not of course not uh, it was a it was a it was an aesthetic design decision made way way above our heads nothing to do with us you know by the production team and quite right too you know it's it's we, we, we're just we're just actors we just turn up and uh, and do the job that we've been hired to do um, and in any case no they're not easier to operate and they're not they're, they're not really more comfortable. They, they, 
when nothing's happening, when when there's a little lull on set and they're rehanging some lights or something, and we have to just sit around inside for ten minutes, I suppose they're a little bit more comfortable when it comes to that because there's a little bit more space and you can get a you know bottle of water in there and have a sup on it with it. You know, in, in the bronze ones, you can't even raise your elbow to have a drink of water because there isn't room. Um, so in that respect, I suppose. But once they're uh, once we're actually operating them, no, they they they're um, they're very heavy, and because they're so big. I mean, the, the sheer size, I don't know if you've actually seen one of them, um, you probably have, but the actual size of the base of them is enormous. And, you know, just getting those through a door without, you know, <laughs> bumping into both sides of it and looking like a, a, you know, making a complete hash of it and having to do it again, that is quite tricky. Um, and also because they're so big, they, we, we know, we found them a little bit harder to get as much nuance and detail into, into the way we the way we do our little turns or our little twitches of the gun or whatever it might be, you know. Obviously, we do our best to, to do that. But uh, but no, the idea the idea that they're that they're comfier and easier is is uh, not true, folks. Uh, no, we uh, certainly from an operator's point of view, the bronze ones, uh, tight and snug and uh, bruise making though they occasionally are, um, are uh, are uh, easier to operate and. We can. We usually feel that we can. We can maybe do a little bit, a little bit more with them in terms of detail and in terms of getting the little, you know, gradations of of, of action right with them. Yeah. A common tale from people who played monsters in Doctor Who is that once they're in their suits, they get forgotten about, and people forget there's a human being in there, even to the extent of leaving them on set when they when they all leave at the end of the day. Have you had any experiences like that? It's all true. <laughs> no, no, it's not quite true. Uh, yeah, you see. It's not that people forget that there's someone in there, I don't think. It's just, I think, that once they can't see your face, once they can't see the human being who's sweating away, because there's so much going on, on, on a, in a television studio, and, you know, there's even now, obviously, these days, we have so much more time and the luxury of retakes and things in the way that, you know, Saitan and his contemporaries simply didn't have. Um, but there is so much going on, so much... You know, there's never enough time. Everything's always sort of busy... Um, and if people can't see your face, you know, why should they remember? You know, why should everyone be spending their time thinking about the fact that the Daleks might have been stuck in there for two hours? Of course they do. So, but that's okay. We've learned over the years since we've been doing it that we do have to speak up occasionally and say, sorry, look, actually, guys, if, if this is a break that's, if this is going to be 15 minutes before we do the next bit, could, could we all have our lids taken off just for a bit of fresh air because it's getting a bit stuffy in here? And we've got a bit better at doing that. And, you know, I'm not trying to suggest that, that everyone's horrible to us. Of course they're not. They're very uh, solicitous and very, very concerned about us. And the, you know, the third assistant directors and the runners will come round and say, "Are you all right in there? Do you mind staying in for another ten minutes?" And we go, "No, that's fine." And so, you know, um, yeah, on, on the first series, the, the um, you know, the Christopher Eccleston series, uh, when we were doing the Bad Wolf story, that you know, everyone was on a learning curve. The production team were, the runners were, the assistant directors, the directors, the actors. We were. Everyone was. Uh, it was a new thing that hadn't been done before. Making Doctor Who in that way hadn't been done before so we were all learning how it's uh, you know what, what what the sort of ground rules were and in that story you know there, there, there were a few days in the studio that were pretty grim for us because because we were too timid to speak up and say sorry we need to have our lids taken off and as I say we've got a little bit more forthright about doing that when we need to now but yeah there was one particularly um hairy day which was when we were in the Dalek spaceship on, on the parting of the ways story uh, when we were uh, inside our Daleks, you know, bolted in, um, 
for five and a half hours non-stop uh, and I remember that distinct well, of course I remember it it was uh, <laughs> I still have nightmares about it but it's because it was a very you know it was a it was a fairly it was a very busy day and there was lots to do um, and uh, I remember clambering out eventually when when we were at last allowed out and Nick Briggs was filming his uh, video diary you know he was wandering around the set with that and he caught me just as I was climbing out of uh, my thing and said uh, you're right Nick and I think I just sort of said <sighs> Or something like that, and I must have looked pretty horrible as well. But uh, you know, that's okay. Uh, it was um, so. Yeah, it's in a way, you know, it's a sort of testament to what a great design it is, isn't it? That um, you know, once that lid goes on, and once the the lights light up, and the and the eye stalk starts, you know, and the plungers twitching and everything, it's not. There isn't a. It, it, it's not. It's not a, a man inside a load of fiberglass and wood. It's it's a Dalek, and people sort of. Maybe do slightly forget that um, that that in there somewhere there's a <laughs> there's an equity member doing his best to uh, to get on with it. But you know it's okay. It's it's the job. If we didn't want to do it, we wouldn't sign the contract. So uh, I, I'm, I have no complaints apart from the five and a half hours day. We're not doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas, thank you very much for your time. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Very welcome. It's lovely to speak to you. So I'm here at Big Blue Box with Andrew Smith, author of Full Circle, friend of the show. Oh yes. So, are you enjoying your day here today? Yes. Yeah, very much so. It's always nice to uh, turn up and uh, meet fellow aficionados and uh, and talk about it. Yeah. And you're on a panel today. What's your panel? Uh, I've just completed a panel with Richard Franklin, Joan Ainsworth, and Michael Stevens from Audio Go on the uh, latest uh, audio release. I've done uh, Vengeance of the Stones for Destiny of the Doctor, and I've got a writer's panel coming up uh, later this afternoon that James is going to be uh, doing his best to try and interview us uh, on. So you're mm. fairly recently returned to the fold in Doctor Who fandom, and mm. you've managed to write one of these anniversary special stories for Big Finish. That must be quite exciting. Yeah, it was really good to be asked to do it. It came kind of out of the blue. I was asked to do a th- uh, third Doctor story. The, uh, you know, the objectives of the range and the general layout was explained to me. And uh, it was great because um, I'd not written uh, a third Doctor story before. Uh, and it was really good to go and re- revisit that er- area of the show, which is so ingrained in my memory, really, from what was it? started in the 1970s. So I was eight. Uh, so very much kind of my, my formative random years really John Pertwee's it was great fun and how much of a brief did you get there's a through story through all of this series isn't there yeah there is I, I know as much as I need to know about that which isn't very much but but yeah there's a there's a link through to the uh, the Doctor's future uh, that's mentioned in each of the stories which wasn't too constraining really um, it doesn't impact too much on the rest rest of the story though there's an, there is an element for each of these stories I believe that will feature uh, in the future and um uh, so I'd pretty much uh, free reign to just come up with whatever kind of story uh, occurred to me really for the for the third Doctor, and I came up with three or four pitches for John, and he pitched he picked uh, my suggestion of a story around these stone circles in Scotland. Now you've recently been at Gallifrey uh, with us. Yes, uh, great fun. Here you are at another yeah. convention. Now, how yeah. are you enjoying the convention circuit? Well, well, it's funny. I'd only, I mean, before this year, I'd done two. I think I'd, I'd done the, uh, uh, I'd done a, a convention in Glasgow in two thousand and nine, uh, and one in Newcastle Dimensions a couple of years ago, uh, and that was it. For some reason, this year there've been a few more. I think people have realised I actually live in London, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe a bit more accessible. Um, because, so previously, I was up in Glasgow and Newcastle. People probably thought I was still in Scotland. Uh, but this year I was at Motormouth in January. I was at Gallifrey with yourselves. Great experience last month in February. 
this one today. I've got big finish day coming up next week, uh, and a right uh, Doctor Who writers con in Manchester as well. For whatever reason, there's uh, you know been quite a few this year, and it's great fun. It's great to get together with with people you can just talk about the series and uh, interact with people. Gallif- Gallifrey is the most incredible experience, uh, especially being you know that far away from home in in, in North America, uh, and finding people who knew so much about the show as it turned out for you guys a lot more than you did (laughs) (laughs) memory cheats podcast did very well in the quiz didn't they but um no a good show good show yeah that 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 was that was quite something seeing the the love for the show over there and people who traveled from all over the world to go there it's funny as well bumping into johnny morris earlier and we're talking about this thing about um my daughter had seen uh, a cd in the car the crimes of thomas brewster big finish audio and she looked at it looked at front cover and she straight away she said oh it's written by johnny morris yay <laughs> oh Barbara, she's really she's really getting it but johnny made the comment about it. it's good you know that you write something it's out there and you get feedback on it and people like the cds are actually out there and there's that as well getting feedback on the, the stuff that you've written the the material that, that you produced with the, the assistance of others that that's really good because the writing process is fairly solitary and it could almost be that it goes out there uh, and you never hear anything about it but uh, the feedback uh, getting that personal feedback and talking to people is really good I've heard others say that um, attending these conventions 20-30 years after they were on the show they get to meet people they, they knew back in the day but haven't seen since have you had any experiences like that? the closer I come to that is uh, meeting up with Lala Lala Ward again for the recording of uh, the Invasion of East Space Companion Chronicle. Matthew was Matthew Waterhouse was at Dimensions with me, uh, although I had seen him in the interim because we did the the uh, the commentary together. The uh, it's not been too much of that to be honest with you in the uh, in the context of going to conventions, but doing doing other things, getting back into the audio recordings uh, has uh, given me that opportunity. Yes, there is shortly coming out the new biography of John Nathan Turner which is causing some stirs in fandom with the, the reviews that have come out so I believe uh, have you seen any of the, the publicity around that uh, no I haven't I was interviewed by Richard Marson for it we met at a Doctor Who magazine party last year and he mentioned it and I told him a couple of things about John and he actually commented to me actually that that's very positive it would be really nice interview uh, apart from anything else it's nice to hear from someone who's got some very positive things to say, which I was qu- quite sad to hear, to be honest with you, because John did make a very, very positive impression on me, and I'm very grateful to him. I've heard about it, and I'll certainly be getting the book and having a read of it. And what are your hopes for the anniversary coming up? My hope is that it will be accessible, and that's my expectation as well, that it will be, well, not just for the fans, but for anybody who's ever heard of Doctor Who, and a few people who haven't as well, that it will be a, a really good celebration, and we'll probably get a few more people coming on board as well hear uh, you know this has to be something special it's been around for that long people both here and abroad you know it's been around for that long there has to be something to it so if you if people haven't looked at Doctor Who or heard Doctor Who to this point then uh, they'll get on board and for those of us who ha- who can't remember a time when it wasn't around uh, we'll just be sitting there with a big smile on our face saying thank you Stephen Moffat thank you BBC Worldwide thank you BBC for uh, for giving us this because the uh, the menu of options coming up for the celebration of 50 years looks very appetising and mouth-watering. It does indeed. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Ian. Thank you.
Yes, we are still here at Big Blue Box 2. This time I'm joined by Tom Spilsbury, current editor of the Doctor Who magazine. Hello, Tom. Hello, how are you? Not bad. Welcome back to the DWP camper van. Thank you. Yes, yes. Well, it's changed a bit around here. Redecorated. Yes, yes. Don't like it. (laughs) It's obligatory to do that, Uh, Joe. I think that's the first time I've done that. So thanks for (laughs) dispelling that. Anyway, how how are things at Doctor Who magazine? Oh, well, they they roll along. Um, We're end of March coming up to, so we're sort of getting through this this big anniversary year. Course planning ahead to all the things that will be happening towards the end of the year although they haven't started doing the making the anniversary special yet so it's a bit difficult to plan in too much detail how things are going to work <laughs> until we you know actually seen a finished script for the for that mm. but um we've we've had a bit of a reformat for the mag at the start of this year and yeah. you know we're now into the new episodes for this spring um no it's all exciting and people uh, i've been so pleased recently that, that there seemed to have been such a nice reaction to the john pertwee interview we yeah. ran um, and and also the comic strip that was currently going. It's it's, it's always nice to, to hear that people like what we've been doing. So, you know, there's nothing worse than sort of putting something out there and it's just met with silence. <laughs> so at least even if people hate it, you want some kind of reaction. So. No, I, I think it's true. I think most people were thinking, okay, 50th anniversary, the emphasis is going to be on the new series. And you can understand that point of view. What? Within fandom in general, it's it's nice to see the magazine really celebrating the show's past. Yeah, well, I mean, I I think that that's part of what the magazine always does. You know, you always want to because uh, because of the way it's developed over the years. Um, you know, I think if you were starting a brand new magazine from scratch, you might approach it differently. But mm, because mm. it's it's sort of grown this way, if you like. Um, you know, of course, that the, there are all sorts of fans of different periods of the program, and we've all got our own favourites. And, and of course, the, the absolute, you know, current stuff is always hugely important. Whenever mm. it was important in in 1984, it was important in 1989. You know, and it's important in 2013. But it's, you know, it's always got to be. I think, you know, in the broader context, especially in a 50th anniversary year, because I think if anything, everyone's very interested now in that in that whole history you know it's not just us fans you know sort of normal people <laughs> sort of uh, are interested in in William Hartnell and, and you know Mark Gates' drama and that will be I'm sure um, you know a fantastic piece I mean I know it's going to be so yeah that, that sort of level of, of, of interest whenever you anything has a big anniversary I think uh, you're going to get that uh, mm. No, you, uh, attention. You, you, you've mentioned certainly uh, probably the biggest thing that's going to be celebrating the show's past and adventure in time. Yeah, and well, I was I was uh, very lucky to to be on set for that. I hardly ever go on set for anything these mm. days because, frankly, I don't need to be there. I'm just in the way if I go along, and, and I've got far too much stuff to do in the office. Anyway. But I couldn't resist the opportunity to, to when Mark said, Are "You coming? You coming to the set?" <laughs> well, I've, I've been quite busy. You've got to come, okay? Um, and actually, of course, I'm, I'm so pleased I did go because you know the, the beautiful recreation of mm. the first Doctor's mm. TARDIS and um, lots of other things. I'm not sure what I, what's actually been seen by people, and I'm uh, I'm always paranoid of thinking, "Oh, if I say something, is that going to be?" Uh, giving something away but, that's why it's so much it's, fun talking to you it's i mean i think people know that that um the reese shearsmith is also playing patrick Troughton, so yeah. that you get a bit where you, which is sort of on set for the 10th planet um andrew pixley who a lot of the listeners are probably know as um the the guy who writes the archive features in doctor Who magazine mm. um and and you know even now writes everything up for uh, all the new episodes as they come on he was there on on set with me the same day and they were they were making a clapperboard for 
um, for the tenth planet, episode four. Because they, they, that was the the scene that they were sort of recreating. Um, and you know, Andrew was able to sort of say exactly what the dates should be and the numbers that should be on the clapperboard, <laughs> so to make it completely authentic. So, um, you know, I love that sort of attention to detail. Uh, Andrew will have to write himself into his yeah. archive a bit now, but he was there to, to point that out. I mean, from what you've just said, and certainly looking at some of the reports, uh, the filming of that uh, program. It has been filled with a sense of wonder for everybody concerned. Yeah, I, I mean, of course, I, I think, you know, with something like, you know, Verity Lambert and William Hartnell and Morris Hussein and all of these these people in those early days, they feel so real to, uh, to us. I mean, it, you know, even though, you know, William Hartnell has been gone for many, many years now, but these stories and the way the whole programme began and was sort of set up, um, we're so used to hearing, you know, the piss and vinegar story of, of, of you know, what, how Sidney Newman described Verity <laughs> Lambert and all of that. So I think, you know, if you're if you're a Doctor Who fan who who really knows all of that, you're going to get a lot out of it because it, you know we feel like we know these people. But even if you don't know that, it's a, it's a wonderful. Um, story to tell, I think. Mm. You know, it's 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 really quite a strange group of people that came together to to create Doctor Who in the first instance. You know that they weren't, you know, perhaps your typical TV team of of, of the nineteen sixties. You know, Verity Lambert was very unusual in in being, you know, not just a female producer. You know, had been promoted to be a producer, but but so young and. Mm. Um, and Warris is saying, so, you know, I think basically they were given this this job, uh, you know, because because nobody thought it was going to be any good, you know, sort of, well, give that to the kids, you know, keep keep them busy, keep them out of the way almost. So, uh, and Mark's drama reflects all of that, and it's 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 the story of William Hartnell in particular, um, and and uh, yeah, I I think people will love it. I oh, really yeah. hope they do. Very very much looking forward to it indeed, yeah. and certainly been watching the uh, the story of the production unfold as and when mm. things have becoming available on- online but uh, is there anything else that's going to be coming up in Doctor Who magazine in the between magazine. now and the anniversary that you can you can tell us about well what have we got coming up um, obviously for the next few issues we're, we're going to focus a bit on the new episodes that are coming on of course We've got um, next issue. We've got a big interview with Annika Wills. Oh, um, right. So we're, I'm, I'm deliberately trying to do quite a few interviews with old the old companions and, mm. and people involved. I mean. You know, as you know, DWM does do this sort of thing anyway. That that we like to have, you know, cover the whole history. But I'm trying to really make a, a specific effort to do that. So we've already had uh, Fraser Hines in the one that's currently out, and um, I'd like to feel that as much as possible we cover every every era. Um, but of course, that's a lot of eras. You know, it's 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 difficult to actually, you know, comprehensively do everything. I'll just save something for next year. This is this is the this is the thing, of course. You know that the fifty first anniversary. No, no one's going to sort of celebrate that in the same way. But everything's got to carry on. So, um, it, yeah, um, and I'm sure we'll be doing some stuff. I'm hoping. Um, I don't I hope I don't jinx this, but I'm hoping to get various doctors together. Um, I think it's already known that Big Finish is doing a yes a, a, a big story, which will involve some of the old doctors together. So I'm hoping that we're able to. To do something with some of them, which will sort of tie in with what Big Finish is doing. But of course, mm. you know, getting doctors together is um, great fun, but also takes a fair bit of organisation to actually make it happen. So, so fingers crossed with that. Also, you know, I've, we've got a few. Things. I was meeting up with uh, Matthew Sweet um, mm. uh, yesterday. 
um, who, again, you may know he's doing, he, he's writing and, and presenting this Culture Show special, which uh, will be on BBC Two later in the year. But he's, he's very keen to do some stuff for the magazine. Great. And he, he Great. Came, came up with a couple of ideas mm. for me. So we're discussing those at the moment. Hopefully, he, I think he's a brilliant writer and a very clever guy. So I'm hoping he'll do, mm. he'll do something for us too. Be- being so close to Doctor Who, clearly you're going to know some things that are going to be happening. Uh, it's your job, you live and breathe Doctor Who, does that make it any harder to enjoy such a, a landmark well, in the show's history? Um, I think I think when you're in the process of, of uh, working on it, yeah, you're not really sort of thinking about that. But when, when I actually sit down, yesterday was the press screening for the first episode of the new run, right, okay. um, The Bells of St John. And, that, mm. and when, when the, he was in the screening room and watching it, I just enjoyed it, you know. Uh, it's, it's easy to, to do that when you're actually watching it. Um, yeah, I mean, when you're... When you're um, Initially, reading scripts or planning things and doing your features and, all, and getting your photos organised and all of that, you know, you're not sort of thinking about it in terms of, of uh, uh, you know, a, a viewer necessarily. You're sort of trying to do your job and get things ready. But yeah, as soon as I, as soon as I actually can properly watch it. But mm. I've seen um, I've, again, it's helpful to know what's what's coming up. Of, of, course. of course, although we get yeah. the, um, the 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 scripts and, and 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 so on, it's it's still not the same as actually seeing the proper finished program. Um, but I did see. Well, I went to Cardiff uh, two weeks ago now, um, and we sat, a group of us, about eleven or twelve of us, we sat in this editing suite and, and watched all eight episodes in in a row. <laughs> um, we were we were only let out for for for, for you know one toilet break every <laughs> two hours or so. But um, <laughs> it, that that was kind of quite a, a thing because of course they weren't all finished. You know they they were in stages. Mm. They were in various stages of, of assembly. They basically all the pictures were there, but in some cases they didn't have the music, and in some cases um, effects were missing, and in some cases there was still ADR um, to be recorded on there. So you know it's it's interesting seeing them in that form, but of course they're not you, you know they're not complete. So. Um, so yeah, you're, it gives you a very good idea when you're coming to to do your previews and do all of that mm. as to what it actually is you're 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 talking about. But um, but yeah, of course, of course, they're not as good as the finished thing. That that in a, in a way means that you're not you're not in that sense experiencing them quite as a, a viewer would. No, uh, but, but certainly a very exciting time, no doubt. Oh, it is. Uh, oh, it's very yeah. exciting. Gosh, yeah. I mean, mm. I've been on the magazine ten years now, and it never stops being exciting. Has Clayton given you his longest-serving trophy yet, or longest-serving editor trophy? <laughs> I haven't actually quite beaten Clayton's record of longest-serving editor because my ten years I've been there includes um, about four and a half years of being Clayton's assistant, right. mm. um, and the other five and a half um, as editor and. I st- think I've still got about two or three issues to go before I you actually... You know issues. <laughs> well, actually, I've forgotten where I am at the moment. I, I, can't, I can't remember any of it. I think, what issue number are we on? 458 yes. is the one that's in the shops now. So we're working on 459. And I think 460 was the one where I draw level with Clayton. I've worked that out right. Well, congratulations yeah. on that landmark yourself. <laughs> I, think I, you... might, I might die before then. <laughs> I might not beat the record at all. Or just watch out for any buses flying yeah. otherwise. Tom, thank you very much indeed for You're spending a short time speaking to us. You're welcome. Phew, that was exhausting. <laughs> An hour worth of interviews with Dan Starkey, Toby Hadoke, Simon Fisher-Becker, Nick Pegg, Tom Spilsbury 
And last but not least, a friend of the show, Andrew Smith. My goodness, mm. you guys were busy. Oh, absolutely. It was exhausting. Uh, that is the correct word. And bear in mind, there were two onstage interviews as well, which you will get to hear um, on the Doctor Who podcast very, very shortly. But uh, at the end of the day, I, I fell asleep on a train uh, going back into London from Tunbridge Wells. And uh, I, I was absolutely buzzing the next day as well, just, just remembering the experience of speaking to so many uh, Doctor Who alumni all in one day. And I know Ian felt exactly the same. But uh, but there's a few thank yous that we need to mention because uh, without these individuals, it simply wouldn't have happened. Uh, Stephen Elsden, who has involved the Doctor Who podcast in the organisation of Big Blue Box right from last year, really. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I've been keeping in touch with Stephen uh, throughout the year. And I'm really hoping that we'll be involved in uh, the, the next convention as well. And it, it, it's just been absolutely amazing. Uh, the staff at the Trinity Theatre were, were brilliant. Um, Louise Jameson was absolutely lovely to me uh, especially as I ended up interviewing her with no notes because I left them <laughs> in the dressing room um, so I had 40 minutes of, of just talking without any structure whatsoever and I think it probably went quite well <laughs> it probably went better than if I had <laughs> notes um, Andrew Smith Simon Gurrier and, and Nigel Fairs once again um, were all responsible for enhancing my day uh, anyway so yes it was it was a wonderful convention Fantastic, fantastic. Well, as you've hinted, we, we do have some more interviews from Big Blue Box 2 coming up in future DWPs, and you've probably given one of them away there by oh. saying that we'll have a, a, a feature-length, podcast-length interview with uh, Leela herself, Louise Jameson, which you conducted. But we've also got another one coming up, which, which we won't tell you what it is, but um, if you were there on the day, then you probably know who... James talked to on the day a, a particular panel that took place at the convention. So all that coming up in, in future, very soon to be released, uh, Doctor Who podcast. In addition to being a fabulous convention, uh, it also raised money for a, a very worthy charity called Compaid, which uh, provide opportunities for disabled people. So uh, if you get a chance, please visit compaid.org.uk and donate to this incredibly worthy charity. Okay, I think that's about it for this episode of the Doctor Who podcast. Trevor, as always, it's been a pleasure just talking about interviews that uh, we managed to conduct without you there. Absolutely brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Don't forget to check out our Facebook page, listeners. There's some exclusive content over there. As we're recording, Ian has just posted our coverage of the BFI's Mind of Evil screening, uh, which saw about three or four other podcasters present as well so we managed to get together afterwards and record uh, so there's some some really interesting and exclusive stuff there so check that out that's over at facebook.com forward slash the doctor who podcast yes it's always good to be our friend on facebook we uh, we publish the occasional exclusive little tidbit over there that doesn't end up on our main feed but it's just something a little bit extra for those that uh, just can't get enough of the dwp <laughs> and we understand that some of you maybe uh, missing your fix so there's always more on our uh, facebook page indeed trevor it's been a pleasure speaking to you and listeners will catch up with you very soon bye bye that was the doctor who podcast which you can find at the doctor who podcast.com if you have any feedback please send it into feedback at the doctor who podcast.com you can also find us on twitter facebook and via the doctor who podcast forums thank you for listening take care